Rhett and Link are a popular YouTube duo. Formerly professing Christians, they've recently come out as hopeful agnostics. On today's episode of Creation Talk, we're going to break down their arguments and we're going to attempt to reach out a hand to them and other people out there who might be struggling with their doubts about Christianity. I'm Robert Carter. I'm a PhD scientist, a former evolutionist, and one who has struggled deeply with these skeptical arguments against Christianity. I'm Paul Price. Uh, I work for Creation Ministries as an events manager as my primary role, um, but I also do writing as well and uh, work with everybody here uh, on as much as I can. And just like Rob, I have also struggled with these things my whole life, and that's exactly what led me to be here. That's why I'm here, because it was important to me. And both of us have spent a lot of time engaging with people in a culture, online, um, at events, on some critical questions and critical topics that really make the difference between being a Christian and not being a Christian. So yeah, I'm very excited. Uh, just like Rhett and Link, they were both kind of nervous to talk about what they talked about, and I'm a little bit nervous too. I want to make sure that I address their concerns and I don't come across seeming like I'm just here to to pound them because they they left the faith. Yeah, you, uh, Paul and I spent a lot of time discussing the tone yeah. that we're trying to share here. We're not trying to be jerks. We're not trying to be sarcastic. We're actually, we want to reach out a hand to people who are floundering because of what looks like insurmountable arguments and yeah. uh, reasons for, for not actually believing the Bible anymore. Yeah, I think there's going to be a little bit of a dynamic here of uh, good cop, bad cop, because I know Rob is so empathetic as an individual, and that's such a great thing. And that's not as much one of my strong suits. So, you know, I'm going to be a little bit more, you know, why did you guys do what you did? And, and how can you really defend what you did here? So... One of the reasons I have empathy on this subject, not all subjects, some of them I'm very, mm -mm, um, <laughs> but this particular one, I've been to the edge of the abyss and I've looked over the edge. I mean, my Christianity in my late 20s before I went off to graduate school at the University of Miami, it was in shreds. Yeah. I was a, a teacher at a high school. I was um, uh, a Christian, a conservative Christian. I went to a really conservative church. And this is the first time in my life, I run into skeptics, the former priest, the the kid who was like I am now, but then he went off to um, the University of Georgia and studied the classics and learned all the, you know, all the all the arguments that I had never heard before. And they shredded me. Mm. They tore me up one side and down the other. It was to the point where I didn't know it was true anymore. And from that point, very slowly, my faith was rebuilt yeah. one brick upon another. Yeah. Kind of going back to basics and, and building a foundation for what you believe. Now, if you don't know what we're talking about, we're going to discuss a, um, a YouTube comedy duo named Rhett and Link. Some of my favorite entertainers. I have laughed hysterically at a lot of their things. In fact, their barbecue song um, is in my head for the rest of my life. I can't get it out of my head. It's genius. I love all of their stuff on taste tests. I've watched so many of those, and uh, you know, and my favorite, my all-time favorite thing that they did was the the funniest thing I've seen them do was the bug eating contest, 
and Link has Which we this, will not duplicate here. <laughs> well, I just wish we could, but our, our pest control is too effective here, and there's no there's nothing for me to grab around here. But Link had a scorpion this big, you know, and he puts the whole thing in his mouth and just literally, and, uh, <laughs> oh, uh, man. Anyway, I'll the guys are geniuses, <laughs> entertainment geniuses. When I first started hearing about them, um, they might not know this, but um, there's a mutual friend between me and them. And when I found out that they were Christians, I was excited. Like, all right, we got some Christians and, and you know, the entertainment industry. Go, guys, go. And then I learned later on they're on uh, faculty with Crew, formerly Campus Crusade. Now it's called Crew. I didn't even know that. And they, you know, are actually on staff. And so they're going out and they're talking. And then I learned in their testimonies that, you know, they used to teach Bible studies, that um, Rhett did some sermons, and and they're no longer professing believers anymore. That hurts. Breaks my heart. In fact, twice. Uh, Rhett, I don't know if you're ever going to see this, but there are two times in your testimony that you nearly brought me to tears. I understand this, man. I have been there. I know the questions that you're asking, and I know the struggle. And I suspect there's a lot of other people out there who understand the struggle because they're also struggling. These guys are my generation. So in that respect, I definitely understand them as well. In fact, I honestly, these guys remind me so much of guys that I grew up with, my friends. And, uh, you know, most of the guys I grew up with uh, just like Rhett and Link both did, uh, most of the guys I grew up with wound up going off to engineering school. They went to Georgia Tech. Now, I, that's I where went I went. To, I went to Georgia Tech. Yeah. And uh, so you know what the environment is there. But, um, you know, I went to UGA, which is has its own environment uh, that everybody knows pretty much in this state anyway. But, uh, you know, I understand the concerns that they had. I understand the way that they are looking at this. And I totally get it. I get their humor because it's it's my kind of humor, but I also get where they're coming from. They're very they're they really lay out their hearts, I think. They did. Wouldn't you say they were very genuine? They did a lot more genuine talking. They were honest. Most people will do in their entire life. Yeah. And that's what makes them so good at what they do is that they can get in front of a camera uh and be so genuine and honest that you feel like you're just sitting there, ha like just goofing off with them. Yeah, you don't feel like you're. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. so that's obviously what you want, and they're very good at that. What makes this, from a Christian apologetics standpoint, uh, you and I deal with that on a daily basis. What makes this particularly troubling is that these guys were not just ignorant, you know half-hearted, they, they only ever learned a, a one or two Bible verses, they never really understood everything, and then they just walked away. No. They, they were deep in the culture. That's not what happened here. These yeah. guys quote Scripture just like we, like you and I could quote Scripture. They Or maybe even better. Or maybe better. Yeah. They understand Christian apologetics terminology. Yes. They know the names in the field of both apologetics and also... The skeptics, they've read both sides, at least to a certain extent. We can come back to that yeah, later. I think we will. Um, but the point is, these guys definitely are way more into Christianity, Christian culture, and and even Christian apologetics than most well-known people who wind up walking away from the faith. Hence, their testimony is going to seem very powerful in the minds of many people. I was just in... Um, 
uh, Washington State last week. And I spoke on a Saturday night at a youth group. There's like you know, 150 kids or something like that. Three kids asked me about Retin Link. One of them during a Q&A session. And the youth pastor also asked me about them. Mm-hmm. And what did I think? And could I say something about it? Uh, because, um, dudes, you're making a splash. And it's a big splash. Sure. And it's concerning. Because it's, it's the old question. You know, If you're wrong, what happens to the people that follow you? Mm-hmm. If we're wrong, nothing happens. Yeah. That's all, you know, the old Pascal's wager well, argument. So that's an interesting point you bring that up because um, what, that's one of the things Rhett says in his testimonial de- deconstruction video. Uh, he says, you know, he eventually got to the point where he asked, what if I'm wrong? Okay. Yeah. And to him, that was liberating, which, you know, it's an issue that he wasn't doing that all along. I do that. I ask yeah. myself that question. Sometimes it keeps me up awake. That's what got me into apologetics, asking that question. If you're a person, I don't care if you're Christian or not, if you're a person and you're not asking that question, you're missing out on some of the deepest, mind-bending, heart-wrenching things that a person can, can, can experience. It needs to be asked. It needs to be dealt with. Yeah. And it needs to be seriously considered because what if you are wrong? So, Rob, my um, when I watched both Rhett and Link's testimonies, their their deconstructions, I got the impression from both of them that growing up, they were never really what we would call young earth creationists or biblical creationists. They were they were typically their whole lives they believed in an ancient old earth. I think that's probably true, but they didn't quite say anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, they did say they at least Rhett at least said he got exposed to the young earth people in college just like me mm-hmm. I'd never considered it before I had no exposure to it and when I was exposed to people who were creationists I literally thought they were nuts so you can't believe that evolution is true I said evolution is a fact millions of years we came from monkeys all those things yeah I said in, in response so I get it where they where they were at that time I don't think they ever said we were never young earth creationists. He Rhett at least hinted at it a little bit. Well, it see, I got that impression just by the fact that he basically said, uh, you know, this is crazy. All the fields of science unanimously show us that the earth has to be old. But that was later, though. That was after he's went through the whole process and then he's rejecting the young earth stuff okay and and he says you could be right that was the impression i got that you know at the beginning stages they were they definitely rejected evolution um in the beginning yeah he said he said the evidence points overwhelmingly to a world that's very old billions of years to be specific yeah but that's in that's after the fact it's after they're going through this deconversion thing and they're wrestling with science and the people that they're reading yeah. I mean, the old earth creationists, the evolutionary creationists. I mean, every single one of these people, essentially, we've re- reviewed the book they said they read. We've reviewed it on creation.com. As their testimony proceeds, as their life proceeds, they use the word deconstruction. That's the title of their video. Yeah. And I think that's accurate. It starts out with a, a faith that's up here and a, and a trust in the Bible, a confidence in the Bible. Let's put it that way. That's up here. And then it's a step down, a deconstruction, one piece after another. The way I listened to it, the first piece to go was the age of the earth. The next piece to go was evolution, when they were exposed to Francis Collins and Biologos material. 
That was the next step. They, they started to embrace the idea of biological evolution. The next step after that was they started to question the historicity of the New Testament as well. So it started out questioning the Old Testament, and then it led to questioning the historicity of the New Testament. They started reading and listening to Bart Ehrman, and uh, they started to question that, that the idea that the resurrection happened. And then it seems like after that, the floodgates were opened in their minds and in their hearts to really question everything about the Bible at that point. I got a slightly different take. Okay. Um, specifically listening to uh, Rhett's testimony, he, he essentially said the first thing that he doubted was the resurrection, which really surprised me. Because that's usually the last thing that goes. Okay. If someone's walking away, someone can hold on to the resurrection and, you know, who cares how old the earth is? But he seemed to have flipped it around. And that really concerned me and troubled me. But then... Well, I think he did say that. He said, in his testimony, he said, okay, look, this this whole old earth thing and the Genesis thing, whatever, but Jesus, you got to hold on to Jesus. That's the core of the faith. And so... Yeah, he did try to do that. Yeah. And, and so, it didn't work. No, it didn't. It didn't and, work. And this is what he said. He, he basically said he was surrounded with people that were telling him, just believe in Jesus. And that's the important thing. And he made me laugh when he said, you know, I'm not doing Francis Collins any favors here. <laughs> and he wasn't. And he because, wasn't. When he, yeah. he, he went right past that theistic evolution spot where you can have evolution in the Bible also, because he realized this is um, mutually incompatible ideas, and he didn't stay there, which actually amazing. Thank you for doing our job uh, for us on that account. <laughs> um, but we wish that he would come the other direction. So, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, this is, it's really difficult even though they gave almost four hours of testimony, yeah, it's really difficult it's to nail down specifics. But there are a couple of red flags that actually popped up pretty early. Mm -hmm. One of them was when, I guess it was Rhett that said that, and he grew up in a culture that, that just thought evolution was stupid. Yeah. I didn't grow up in a culture like that. And I would never tell anyone that evolution is stupid. Because then what happens when you start learning evidences for evolution? You're not prepared for it. And you say, oh, evolution isn't stupid. And then you can question everything that came before it. Yeah. We got to be really careful with this. I mean, evolutionists aren't stupid. No. Scientists are not stupid people. They work really hard to build up their ideas and their theories. Now, I think they're wrong, but it's not out of ignorance necessarily. And that's not a good starting point. Just yeah. evolution is dumb. I don't believe it. Not a good starting point I, at all. I never got the impression from Rhett or Link that at any point they opened themselves up to questioning the mainstream scientific community. Okay. Now, I now, now the thing is, they I think did, they probably did a little bit. Well, they did on evolution, and they were clear that they thought evolution was silly, like you said, stupid, and that they could talk other people out of believing in evolution and all that. And they tried, but. I never heard them say anything about, at any point, questioning the age of the earth. And that is the first place where I think it's, it's a, you know, you always hear this phrase, slippery slope, okay? There's a truth to it. There is a progression of disbelief. And, and I do think it starts with the historicity of Genesis, not necessarily with accepting evolution outright. Yeah, I agree with but, that. But just saying, okay... Maybe maybe Genesis isn't really literal history. Maybe it's a metaphor. And even if evolution didn't happen, um, this is still a very ancient earth, and, uh, and it doesn't look like what we would expect if the Bible were literally true. I've been telling my audiences that 
uh, Darwinian evolution came a hundred years after the geologists already decided the earth was millions of years old. So historically, that was the first step. Yeah, first step, age of the earth, how, you know, how historical is the Bible? And then the next step is, oh, biological evolution. Mm-hmm. Way, way later than, than the age of the earth question. Yeah. So what happened was they got to this point, and after years and years of this stair-step dwindling down of what they could trust, Link says at one point, it felt like the island of God was slowly seeking below the waves of science, getting smaller and smaller until eventually it goes under, and now there's nothing left of God. And that brings up another really huge and really important idea, and that is philosophy. You cannot approach the subject of science or faith without philosophy. And the philosophy we're talking about that undergirds all of the arguments that they're making is a philosophy called naturalism. That's a belief that nature is all there is, a belief that natural processes can explain everything. It started even before the geologists decided that the universe was millions of years old, Mm -hmm. you know, 100 years prior to that, maybe at least 50 years prior to that. But naturalism is a wonderful science for the laboratory. It has built all of our technology, all of our our modern scientific miracles that we're able to do. But naturalism is a lousy science to explain origins. Exactly. It can't explain, you know, what started the Big Bang? What made it expand at that rate? What made it stop? Mm -hmm. Why did it expand that big? Those are just magic things that just so happened. You can't explain, you know, how you get stars from clouds of gas, how you get planets for from clouds of dust, how you get life from random chemicals, how you get complex life, multicellular life, photosynthesis, um, the human mind. I mean, all these questions, naturalism can't even begin to touch. Rob, I was telling you in a conversation we were having about this that I did not get the impression that either Rhett or Link ever came to a place where they understood this distinction, this basic distinction between the two fundamentally different kinds of science that are done. Yeah. operational science and historical science. If you're the listener, you say, what are these guys talking about? Operational historical science? Show notes. We'll have a link for you. Yeah. Critical, absolutely, in- incredibly critical question is what type of science are you doing? Every time we go out to a church and we give a talk to a new audience that's never heard this before, that's one of the most important things that we want to communicate is science is not one uh, just unified, monolithic thing. Uh, we, you, we hear that word always being used interchangeably, but it's equivocation yeah. because what people mean by science depends on the context. If we're talking about the past that we cannot witness, we cannot repeat, that's not the same thing as if I'm asking you about lab results that, that you did that um, yeah, like, deal with something you can observe and, and another scientist could come around and, and do the same experiment and see if they get the same result, right? What's the boiling point of water? What's yeah. the, the force of gravity? And, and those sorts of questions. We're talking about things you can do today, right now, here, repeatedly. They're, they're observable. They're testable. You can draw hypotheses and test your hypotheses right now and right here, and you can see the results versus a one-off thing that happened in the distant past that no one was there to see. The great deception of our times. It's huge, two hugely different concepts. Yeah. Operational science, like what we, I mean, we can launch things to the moon. We're going back to the moon soon. I can't wait to yeah. get, get another pre- people on the moon. That's awesome. That has nothing to do with evolution. 
This equivocation that, that we're talking about here is the key to the deception of our time. I really believe that. It, if people point. could understand this one thing, it would make them so much harder to deceive. Yeah. Equivocation, by the way, is um, when you switch the definition of a word in mid-sentence or mid-stream. Yeah. So if you're talking about science and everyone thinks, you know, things you can do and test today, and all of a sudden you switch it to millions of years ago, evolutionary theory, evolutionary assumptions, philosophy. Yeah. That's So those guys, they bought into that deception hook, line, and sinker, and that was their downfall. I really believe that. I, I think I'm going to have to agree with you on that um, after analyzing and struggling and wrestling with this and mm -hmm. saying, you know, what are these guys doing? What are they thinking? What What is the issue? That's back there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know what the real cause was, but there's something both of you and I flagged the same thing here yeah. as something really important. Yeah, and um, just switching over to Link for just a moment, one of the things he says at the very end of his testimony is that, you know, he, he feels like ultimately people believe what they want to believe. And when he, when he said that, I just thought, oh my goodness, how did you, how do you say that and not look at yourself introspectively and realize what's going on here? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't want this because to sound would, like I'm bad. Irrespective of what's true or not. I know. What if there's something true and you just don't want to believe it? Yeah, I mean, oh. uh, you, you guys, Rhett and Link, you both list out all these things that make you uncomfortable about the Bible. You explain how all of these things uh, make you not want to believe. That's what Rhett says. He says, if I don't have to believe that uh, people who reject Christ are going to suffer in hell for eternity, if I don't have to believe that, why would I? And that's an excellent question, actually. That's and, an honest question. Yeah, it's an honest question. Yeah. Why would I if I don't have to? But what if it's true, then you would have to. So why would I believe it if I don't have to? Well, because you do have to. That's what the evidence says. Yeah. But Wait a minute. But does that mean that God's a, a genocidal yeah. maniac who hates people and wants them to rot in hell forever and yeah. wants to wage, um, you know, genocidal... Um, yeah things against the, the Canaanites and go kill all the Canaanites sort of thing? I mean, doesn't that make God a terrible God? Well, I don't believe it does, but the thing is, if you just look at it on a surface level, on a superficial level, it can look that way. It does look like that on a superficial level. When the question is first floated in the way that I tried to say it, that knocks a lot of people back on their back foot. And it causes a lot of people to say, oh, I don't like that God. I don't want to be involved with that God. Christianity must not be true. Reality is full of harsh truths. Reality is full of harsh truths, but there's another principle also in Scripture, and that is if God is who He says He is, and if we are sinful people, you know what? That means that we would deserve mm. punishment. And the fact that God might enact punishment when before you have gray hairs on your head, well, so what? You still deserve it. And it brings up another another question that they did say in here, and I've heard it. Um, there's a, a football player recently who said this, something similar, okay. and that is, um, how could God give you an infinite penalty for a finite time here on earth? That's a how, common question. How is it possible that you could be punished forever for 30 years of sin? It sounds so unjust, but turn that around. What if... God allow you to die comfortably in your sleep when you're one million years old. 
that's plenty of time to turn to God, isn't it? Plenty mm -hmm. of time to repent, plenty of time to say, oh, God must exist and I'm going to be a good person from now on. Yeah. And yet, if you're going to, even after a million years, if you still have to suffer for infinity, well, anything divided by infinity is the same number. Yeah. So it, it's irrelevant. How much time you have on this earth is irrelevant. The Bible is always saying the time is short. Yeah. Repent now. Turn to Christ now. Yeah. The, the, one of the things that is very frequently brought out when this question is asked, and I think it's a valid, uh, a valid answer to this, uh, the punishment uh, doesn't just fit the crime. The punishment also fits the level of authority against whom you have rebelled. And there is no higher authority than God himself. I guess if you were in the army and you said something snappy to your sergeant, yeah. he might give you KP. But if you said something snappy to your general... What's KP? Uh, kitchen kitchen patrol, patrol, whatever. I don't know what to stand for. <laughs> You'll be peeling potatoes <laughs> for an extra, extra day. But if you were, um, if you said something similar to your general, you would find yourself in a lot deeper trouble. If you said it to your president... Mm. Or, you know, for the U.S.-based audience anyway, that the ultimate military authority, um, you'd probably get thrown in the brig for a long time. Well, or what about this? If you steal a pencil from your school library, would you expect the same punishment as if you stole a bar of gold from Fort Knox? Oh, oh no. <laughs> I, no. But they're both theft, right? But, but those are both finite examples. That's right. God is infinite, and he's right. the ultimate authority in the universe. So isn't it arrogant to sit here and say, I don't deserve to be punished for rebelling against the creator? The ultimate authority in the universe. The ultimate authority of the universe. See, these are really big deal ideas. These are very important topics. Uh, if you're out there, if you're a Christian, you're really struggling with this, keep struggling. Don't give up. These are, are things that, that we have to deal with, things that you know they, they ache to ask these questions. And there's a lot of people out there who are giving us bad information. And you're going to have to figure out, you know, what source of information you're going to trust. And honestly, I mean, when I looked at their list of, of scholars and scientists that, that they were referring to, my first question was, what did you expect? I mean, look, look who you're reading. And see, I read some of the same books. But I read some of the, the books on the pro-Christian side when I was barely a Christian. Yeah. So Evidence of the Man's a Verdict, The Case for Christ, those sorts of things. I think God studied me into Christianity from those places. It looks like they did the opposite. They read those things when they thought they were in the church and in solid Christianity. And then they started adding the skeptical things after that. And it whittled away their faith. It's funny because I had some good friends of mine uh, years ago basically the same thing. They started reading some of the more liberal German theologians and thinking that they could answer everything. And very quickly, I got to the point where I don't have answers to these questions. But since I came from the other direction, I'm perfectly comfortable with the fact that I can't answer some major questions. Yeah. And I never will. Because first yeah. of all, I'm not God. Yeah. I'm not omniscient. Yeah. But second, there are some imponderable things in this life that we are trapped with and we're not going to escape and we do not have answers. Yeah, it's, it's a tough truth, but you know, I'll, I'll mention my, from my own perspective, I was where they were, uh, but that hit me around my first year of high school. Okay. It didn't happen in college, it happened in high school. 
Uh, now, I won't say that I haven't, you know, struggled since then, but that first moment when I hit that point and I wasn't sure that I was, that I could really stay a Christian if the, if the evidence didn't support it. That happened to me in high school. And I have to say, honestly, if I had, if I had done the kind of stuff that Rhett and Link has, have done, read what they read and asked the questions that they asked and then just stopped there, I probably would have left the faith just like they did. But there are some questions I think they're not asking because they're a little bit too scary. You know, they put themselves up as examples of people who asked all the toughest questions, right? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you say that they portray themselves like that? And they did ask a lot of really tough questions. And, and this is Kudos what, to them for asking those questions. Yeah, and they say, you know, I can't make myself believe. If the evidence doesn't really support it and, you know, I'm just going to have to go even though it's tough. And they and they kind of portray themselves like they're, they're doing the hard thing. And I got to be honest— from where I'm sitting, they did the easy thing. Leaning, now, <laughs> leaning on the work of, of other people. And when I read their, you know, their list of arguments, I got, I got them written down here. Yeah. The chromosome two fusion claim. The idea that humans and chimps used to have the same number of chromosomes and humans had a fusion, mm-hmm. on a, which we now call uh, chromosome two. We've answered that decisively. Mm. That's not even an argument. That basically is an argument from the Stone Age of genetics. That's the 1970s. Um, Humans and chimps are 99% similar. Are you kidding me? Nobody believes that. That is patently absurd. It is simply not true. We are much more different than that. And again, we've got that documented. Mm -hmm. The idea that we share retroviruses or ancient viral infections in our genome. Yeah, except a lot of those retroviruses are clearly functional. We shouldn't call them retroviruses. They're functional parts of, of the genome, including one that pops out in the brain cells in the genome and sticks itself in other places in the gene genome of the brain cells and changes the genome of brain cells, which is why we have different types of genomes because one of these supposedly ancient viral infle- infections actually makes our brains. And there's another one that's, wow. that is required for the mammalian placenta to bond to the uterus. So without this supposed ancient virus, there would be no mammals. I mean, this is incredibly functional. Yeah, these arguments that are being thrown out there, they have an intimidation value. Yes, they do. They sound very overwhelming. Uh, Yes. When you really dig down, though, uh, they are assuming what they're trying to prove. I've been told there are no transitional fossils. Well, it turns out there's lots of them. Well, actually, no. There are, if you look online, there are lists of a couple of hundred supposed transitional fossils. Almost every single one of those is within uh, our idea of change within a kind. Mm-hmm. And the other ones are really controversial, even in the, the evolution yeah. community. And most of those, they don't last very long. I would refer the audience to my article, How to Think, where I have a Venn diagram of two overlapping circles. And most of that those Evidences fit right in between the two, so both the creationists and evolutionists accepts that as yeah, not an argument against either side. Yeah, oh, and it goes on and on and on. Now, I I said a, a little a bit ago. I said I thought they stopped too soon and they didn't ask the really hard questions. Yeah, uh, here's an example of the kind of question I think they should have asked, but they didn't. Now, both of these guys, um, and especially Link, they don't want to say that they're atheists. They want to say they're hopeful agnostics. Hope agnostics. And that's, 
Well, fair I can en- respect that. Fair I, enough. I can see that. I, I know where they are. I've been in that same place, so. But what's your basis of hope? Hopeful agnostic. Hope Hope in what? Hope in what? Hope Hope that they're wrong and there really is a creator? Well, Link says or, he believes in God. He just doesn't know who God is. I mean, they, they, yeah. both, they both basically said all of the religions of the world are human efforts to attempt to get to God, and all of the religious experience that we have across the world is a legitimate experience. But here's the problem. They, they all contradict each other. Yes, they do. And, you know... Uh, just because someone has a legitimate experience, so to speak, from a from a subjective point of view, it could be an experience of some sort. That doesn't mean their truth claims are accurate. That's right. Okay. Especially, especially if we're made in the image of God and we're made to relate to God, well, of course people are going to be trying to invent religions to fill that need, and of course people have experiences because we're built to have experiences. These guys are former engineering students, yes. so they of all people should know that in the real world, there's a right answer. And there's a wrong answer. For a lot of issues, yes. Well, you know... Philosophy, that's not necessarily true, but in science, it should be true. Well, and even in philosophy, if you're making a truth claim, it's either true or it's false. Okay, that's true. Uh, That is true. So so when they say everybody's experiences are valid, that's a a kind of a cop-out, to be honest with you, because they can't all be valid. They contradict each other. Because all religions can't be they true. Can't, they could all be false. They could all be false, or one of them could be true. Mm. And they both believe in God. Well, why? You know, Paul, in our uh, multicultural society, all these ideas, our freedom of expression, freedom of thought, uh, I'm glad that we can have an open debate and discussion about these issues. And I'm glad oh, yeah. that, you know, there's no government saying you must believe X. I'm very happy about that. So I'm not faulting anyone for having ideas or thoughts. And we're not trying to cast stones at anybody because, you know, we've been there. We're wretched sinners. I I know what I am on the inside. I don't like it. So I'm not going to point out my finger at anybody. I'm not doing that. But not everyone can be correct. So... Because this is such a weighty issue, I mean, literally, if someone's wrong, they might be burning in hell forever. Rhett and Link, what God do you believe in? Yeah, that, that is my question to Rhett. To Rhett and Link, my question to you is, what God is it that you believe in? Because I know both of you, and especially Link, made, a, made, it, made it very clear he, he's not ready to say that God doesn't exist. And he even says he believes that whoever God is is going to accept him for who he is just because he feels like he's doing his best. Um, That's yeah. tough, man. See, I'm doing my best, too. I think most human beings are trying really hard. In their own minds, isn't just about everybody really doing their best? Yeah, but scripturally, I'm just looking at the Bible. If there really is this transcendent God who created this universe... It's not unreasonable to think that that transcendent God communicated with us humans. Well, that's what I'm saying. I, I'm saying it's very odd that they want to say that there is a God out there because that's a comfortable idea. Uh, but they don't want to say that this God has actually communicated and that he actually has expectations of us and that he actually cares how we live our lives. And, you know, he created... It's not, no, it's not just how we live our lives. 
because I mean, Rhett spent a long time saying, I'm, I'm, I'm the same person I ever was. I'm not going to go out and be an axe murderer or a drunkard or beat my wife because I'm no longer well, a Christian. They both make a big deal about that they don't seem to feel like whoever God is, that he places expectations on us. He, This is the God of, um, you know, a, a teddy bear that you hold in your bed at night that makes you feel better. They, they believe what they want to believe. That's what Link said. And that's what they're doing. They're believing what they want to believe. But if they were really being honest and really courageous, they're going to have to ask harder questions. If this, if you can't find any evidence of God, and if God hasn't communicated with us, why do you believe in God at all? Well, and, see, I, but I, I think that's where they are. They're in, there's just a fine yeah. line between this hopeful agnosticism and forget it. There's actually nothing there at all. Yeah, and I just don't see any hope in that worldview. I, I don't see any hope in that worldview at all. I mean... Because it's, good. it's, it's just... Might as well be nihilist. Link said he, he feels comfortable believing that um, when you die, it's exactly the same experience as what you had before you were born. Have you heard that said before? Yeah, which is nothing. And to me, there is very few... There are very few things more terrifying to me than the concept of nothing and non-existence. Because it challenges our humanity. It takes away everything about us that matters. Yeah. And you know what else it does? It says, nothing you ever do in your life will ever matter. And nothing has ever happened in the whole history of the universe. It means one iota of difference for anything. All of, the, all of the good things you put together in your life, and even your children, they're all going to cease to exist one day. Well, Christianity does teach that, but it also teaches that there's inherent meaning to life and inherent inherent purposefulness to our existence. Well, I'll tweak what you said there in one minor way. What's Christianity that? teaches we have an immortal soul. Yeah. So okay, in, yeah. It's in that more respect, than just a life yeah, here. Okay. In that respect, no. Christianity says this is another point I wanted to to get in here. Link says, I don't want to judge. I don't want to condemn. Well, I don't want to judge or condemn people either. Well, I, I get what you mean by that. But what Link seems to be saying is that he doesn't want to look at sin as sin. He wants to to think of everything as an acceptable uh, sort of expression of humanity, so to speak. But what about Adolf Hitler? Yeah, there, there are certainly, within our general culture, most human activities yeah. day to day are not something anyone wants to judge, but we still have to make a judgment call because there's some things that have happened in our history and it could certainly happen again in our future, like... Things like the Holocaust, things like uh, Joseph Stalin murdering millions uh, upon, millions millions upon of millions of people just because he, he wanted to, basically. Yeah. Um, why is all that wrong? It, it, you know, where do you draw the line? Is it just what makes you feel good? Is it what makes our culture feel good? Because that changes all the time. Yeah, Cultures. All the time. Cultures change constantly. And if we look at, at history of humanity, there were some things that lots of cultures, you know, in ancient history thought were perfectly acceptable yeah. that are just horrible. You can't you can't do that today. Well, why not? Who's to stop anybody? I mean, look at Genghis Khan, right? Yeah. One of my favorite examples of the most successful evolutionist in, in world history. Because by raping and pillaging his way across Asia, all the way to Europe, down into India even, he successfully became the ancestor of one out of 200 people alive on Earth today. 
Very evolutionarily successful, wasn't he? He was he was a perfect success story. He got his seeds shown, sown far and wide, yeah. and he won the evolutionary battle of natural selection. The most consistent evolutionist who ever lived. Do you know what his name was? Friedrich Nietzsche. Oh, boy. And he wrote the parable of the madman. Have you read that parable? Um, no. The parable of the madman... Um, you shouldn't ask me that, though, because I'm embarrassed. And oh, now knows you're embarrassed. I'm, I'm not a you big Nietzsche uh, scholar here. No, that's, that's a joke. Go ahead. He didn't even pronounce his name right. So. Oh, who can pronounce that? I'm a German. <laughs> so, you know, the, the parable of the madman is, is this man walking around in the streets uh, saying, where is God? Where is God? And everybody starts laughing at him. And he says, we have killed him, you and I. And the whole point of this is, uh, you know, God is not literal here. Nietzsche was an atheist, but he understood something that most people today still haven't figured out. When you throw out God, you throw out everything God gave us. So, uh, when, yeah, but I'm still a good person. I, I'm, I'm not going to go out and, and murder a good and, and rape and, and do all that. If evolution is true, you're not a person. This you're is a true. bag of you're I'm a bag a, a of molecules. Yeah, I'm a machine, and the only reason I have thoughts is because they inherited some gene from my fish and monkey ancestors that had helped them have children. Yeah, that's that. This is just a reproduction engine. Oh, you think is, you're making choices right now? You're not making choices. No, of course there, not. There are chemical reactions happening in your brain that you have no control over, and you don't even know anything about. But most people have never heard evolutionists argue that way, because usually it's incredibly uncomfortable to get to that nihilistic backbone or, or background of evolutionary theory, where there's nothing here, nothing matters, go ahead and have a happy life, but you know, in the end, you're just stardust and your contributions will make no difference whatsoever to anything important. So yeah, there, there's reasons to not rape, kill, and maim, but there's not reasons to do good because it doesn't even matter. Why do good? Anyway, a little too yeah. philosophical for most of the audience, but we did want to drive home the fact that uh, modern science and that the people, Rhett and Link and a lot of other people out there are leaning upon uh, are naturalists. They just start off beginning to believe there's nothing out there except for nature. And that's, that's tough. It hurts to hear people falling off the horse when they actually haven't taken a real look at the real philosophy uh, behind everything. Well, I want to I want to say something encouraging because I know I am good at bringing people down and saying a lot of negative stuff, but <laughs> I I will say that uh, there is hope for Rhett and Link. There's hope for you, you guys. I don't know if you'll ever see this, but there is hope that even though you don't think you would ever return to evangelical Christianity, um, you're never too far away from God for Him to reach you and to bring you into fellowship with himself. Uh, and we have seen this happen. We have seen examples. It. Now, it's harder at this point because you planted your flag. Well, you planted your flag. But the point is you're never too far away. And um, there, there's a saying that goes, you know, a little bit of science may turn a man into an atheist. But a lot of science, I don't remember who said this, a lot of science will bring a man in you know, into the throne room of God, basically. And Once you realize that there are no ultimate answers in philosophy and this universe, there's no way it formed itself naturalistically. 
And the deeper you go down that path, the, the farther down that path you go, the deeper you get into that thought, the more you re realize there must be a God. There must be a universal God. Yeah. And this God is unbelievably smart, unbelievably powerful. And this is the place where, you know, because I said the, how, how much I empathize with them and how much I understand them. But, but here's the one point where I can't empathize and I don't understand. If I'm, if I'm at a place where I'm saying I believe God exists, then I want to know who he is. Huh. I'm not going to stop until I figure out who this God is, what he said, what he didn't say. And that's the only important question at that point. It's the only thing that matters. If there is a God, who is he? But they want to say, yeah, I believe there's a God, but I don't know who he is and I don't care. And I'm done looking, basically. But the reason they're there yeah. is because they've been brought there by a deep uh, intellectual stream of thinking yeah. that has, has eroded the, the foundations upon which they were standing. Yeah. But it's, one more thing I want to say. It is a perilous thing to be on YouTube and to be talking to the world about things you believe, because what if you change your mind? Or to be saying things that you think are true, but you know, what if you are wrong? So I want to quote James 3.1 here. This is something that terrifies me, and it's this. Not many of you should become teachers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Yikes. Rhett and Link, man, you got the bully pulpit. You're sitting there with millions of listeners and you're influencing people. And we can raise the question that you asked, that we asked earlier that you said, what if you are wrong about where you are right now? That means that you'd be teaching things falsely and dragging people down there with you. And there's a judgment waiting there. Now, of course, you know, you can't believe in a God who would judge people, but if you're wrong, it's you're in a really perilous position, man. So I don't know why you're you're trying to be pastors. I don't know why you're trying to evangelize people on your new way of thinking. You know, I get the understanding or the idea that you want to relate to people. You want to be cool. You want to gel with people. I, I know that. You know, build a community, people that think around you. I got that. But there are people who are saying Christianity is not true because of your words that you've recently spoken. That's heavy. That's really heavy. They talk about, you know, what am I going to teach my kids? And they both bring that up. And of course, as a parent, that's a huge deal. But what about the millions of people that are going to listen to their words now? Yeah. Did they think about that? I'm sure they have. I'm, I'm sure they have. I'm sure they but have, yeah. I mean, still, it's like if you're an agnostic, that means you don't know. But they just made four hours worth of content about what they believe. So yeah, do they, what, I don't know, Ouch. that's don't an know. odd choice. Audience, just understand, yeah. this is difficult stuff. Yeah, We're not lightly dismissing this, we're not trying to be sarcastic, um, but we are strongly disagreeing with, with what has been said because we don't think that they're correct in their conclusions. I wanna read one more Bible passage. This is from 2 Kings chapter six. There was a, um, a famous Old Testament prophet named Elisha. Mm. And he was in the city of Dothan, and it was surrounded by a hostile army that was about to take it. And he wasn't afraid, but his servant was terrified. 2 Kings 6, verse 15 through 17. When the servant of the man of God, that's Elisha, the man of God, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. 
And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He, that's Elisha, said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And that is a very cool concept because there is a world beyond just the physical world. There is a spiritual side to all these arguments. And the fact that there's more going on than we human beings can see should make us step back and say, you know, maybe we don't really understand everything and maybe we shouldn't be so confident as we're walking away from the God of the Bible. Because I tell you what, this universe makes no sense. It's not just like, oh, science is science. No, this universe makes no sense without a creator. It makes zero sense. And there's nothing important to the universe without that creator. We are here for a purpose. And that is to fulfill the will of God here on this earth while we're alive temporarily. And then when that life is over, the Bible clearly says there's, there's one option or the other for the person who has lived on this earth. So guys, girls, people, don't run away. Ask the harder questions. Dig deeper than you are right now. I understand you're struggling. I understand that struggle very, very well. Paul does also. We've been there. Ask the questions. Dig more deeply. Don't be satisfied with the lame answer. If you're wrestling with the word of God, great. Keep wrestling. Most people, they wrestle and then they give up and they walk away. But we have to have proper expectations. And one of the expectations is, we're not going to have all the answers. Another expectation is there are things that are beyond us. But another expectation is that the God of the Bible can come down, reach out to a person, touch their mind, touch their heart, help them to overcome the worldly burdens that we all struggle with, and literally open the door to salvation that we can walk through so that we can live with him forever in heaven. Basic Bible doctrine right there. One of the most important promises that God makes in the Bible is when he says, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you. He doesn't say it'll happen right away. He doesn't say it'll be easy. It may take a lifetime. And I do believe Rhett and Link are on a journey in a process and I'm not going to judge them or their salvation or where they are with God. All of us are on that journey. But if there's really only one important question. Are you seeking God? And I don't just mean half-heartedly. I mean, do you really want to meet God? Or are you really just doing what's comfortable in your life at the moment because that's what you want to do? That hurts because I fall and find myself in that position a lot. We all do. So, All right, so how do we wrap this up? Obviously, Rhett and Link bring up so many questions and so many issues. It can't. It's not something we can sit here and answer every question and answer every objection right now. Okay? No, in fact, we didn't hardly answer any of them no. directly because we're trying to do heart ideas, yeah, yeah. not data. But, you know, this is why we – this is why creation.com exists – um, this is why we work so hard to produce so many materials, so many books, DVDs, YouTube videos, movies, you name it, you name it. 
yeah. we, we're making it. Creation.com. Um, so I'm just, I want people to know that if you really want answers and you're really seeking, check out the great work that people like Dr. Rob Carter here have been working on. And, a lot and of other people so many other me. people all over the world, PhD scientists, historians, researchers, there are good answers out there. Are you willing to seek them out? Are you willing to put in the time? And are you willing to snub your nose at the culture and be embarrassed? Are you willing to say something that will get you laughed at? Like, I believe the earth is 6,000 or roughly 6,000 years old. Are you willing to go against the grain? Or at least, I believe that there is a God who created this universe and that we're not here on accident and we are created on a with a purpose and that purpose is to please him that's the first that's even before the age of the sure earth sure yeah that's just a, a basic you know worldview question because once you're there then you can fill in the yeah. gaps with all the other things yeah. that come after that absolutely friends struggle keep fighting don't give up fight the good fight you get depressed you get worried i got it i know this quite well but you don't have to give up. You don't have to give up on God just because there's a few questions that you can't answer right now. And I don't want to forget to mention that there's an article on this subject on creation.com. Go to the search engine, just type in R-H-E-T-T. I'm sure it'll come up first at, at most second in, in the search rankings. It's an open letter uh, to Rhett McLaughlin and link also, but I read it specifically to Rhett because what he wrote resounded with me more than what Link said. Um, don't, don't skip that. There's, we talked in generalities for more than half an hour, but the article has a lot more details. In fact, I, I bullet point a lot of things he said and I answer it. He said something and I answered it. Spe yeah. Specifically the, um, linking to the theologians and scientists on who engaged in this debate and linking to his specific scientific rejections of, of the idea of creation. And I mean, they're all there. Boom, 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 boom. So you don't have to be just drifting aimlessly here. These things have been answered. So if you're another YouTuber or podcaster and you're planning on doing an episode on some subject, either directly or tangentially related to this, something on creation evolution debate of any sort, use this as a resource. Create, consult creation.com before you just go off half cocked and, and make some conclusions, say creationists teach this, because it might not be true. We would love actually to interact with you. If you want to um, do a response or something like that, it's easy to contact us. There's a dozen different ways that, to get in communication with CMI and the people at CMI. 